0: Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learn in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, a.k.a. One Broke Actress. Thank you guys so much for the support from episode one. I am so happy to be back with you guys for season three, and there is so much more to come. Thank you, Christina Ochoa, for last week's episode. We've gotten a lot of feedback. And it was very interactive on Instagram and it was really fun to read those reviews and uh, just how excited you guys were to have the podcast back. Um, If you guys missed it, I'm at Sam Valentine on Instagram and I share all of the podcast shares from all the actors who listen on my own Instagram. So make sure to check that out this week. Share away and I will tag you on my stories Oh, make sure you guys are a part of the Facebook group, A Bunch of Broke Actors. Uh, if you go to com and click the community section, it takes you straight to the Facebook group. Just answer two quick questions about why and how you're an actor, and I will accept you into the group just for security reasons so you don't get any randos in there. Um, And basically, we just share things about actor life, questions we might want to ask in public, opinions, um, actors are sharing their websites and getting feedback and things like that. And it's just a helpful group of people to be a part of. So I highly recommend you join. And other than Instagram and uh, subscribing, rating and reviewing this podcast, hint, hint, that's all I have for you in the notes section this week. Let's get to it. This week, we actually don't have an actor We have a publicist. That's right. Greg Longstreet joins us this week, and he tells us all about PR. Everything you have ever wanted to know, pretty much he covers. And he's also hilarious and really dry and very on top of it when it comes to his world. So he doesn't hold anything back. Um, Greg shares with us how he got into PR much later in his career and how his early days as a writer actually Uh, fueled his career and his success in PR. He goes over how to get a PR agent, when to get one, what they do, how to kind of manage your expectations when getting one, and a whole hell of a lot more. He's really full of knowledge across the board. You guys are going to love him. So without further ado, please enjoy Greg Longstreet. Okay, so I'm here with Greg uh, who's going to talk to us about publicistness and PR and all this stuff? Publicistness. Yeah, have you heard that one before? I have not. I just made it nice up for to you. meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too. And all your listeners. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do? Because I ask people their questions for this, and right. they basically have My no worst, idea.
1: What's a publicist do? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've been asked that a few times lately, and I try the simplest way to sort of describe what a publicist does is like you ever hear like a really good album or you see a really good movie and you go tell your friends, hey, you should go see this movie and they go, Oh, cool. We'll go check it out. And they go and they love it. That's what a publicist does. So basically, you know, we're sort of I'll say curators in some respect, but like, you know, we take on clients and our job is to sort of bring attention to them with the press. So whether it's a journalist, a talk show booker um, a website, you know, a podcast such as this one. You know, our job is to sort of educate those people and say, hey, you should check out this comedian. Hey, you should check out this filmmaker. Hey, you should check out this actor. And that's, that's, and, and that's sort of, that's the simplest form of describing it. But, you know, a lot of it is rooted in having good relationships with these people, mm-hmm. people who sort of trust your, uh, your, creative instincts and and what you're drawn to so like for example some of my clients I work with I work with some very I think I believe well-respected filmmakers like uh Edgar Wright who did Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and Scott yeah. Pilgrim so you know when you have the good fortune of working with an auteur like that it does it does start to start build it starts building your reputation in terms of, oh, well, Greg reps some pretty cool people. So if he's calling about a filmmaker, he probably has someone at least worth looking at. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not everyone vibes to everything. So trust me, I've had, you know, I've sent filmmakers, you know, films towards, you know, to editors and they're like, eh, not my cup of tea. But, you know, again, you are you are building sort of your reputation based on your clients that you represent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's are publicists that, that uh, represent a lot of reality people. So... That's sort of Can't going to imagine
0: be, that job. <laughs> but that's going to be
1: their, you know, so that's sort of their reputation. Then, you know what I mean? So if they're calling saying, "Hey, I've got this great actor," it's like, "Well, you rep, you know, a YouTuber." So how good, you know, you, it's, yeah. It, it's kind. I'm kind of going on a tangent, but it's so. It's kind of
0: like agents. Like you, you kind of find a little niche sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely agents have specialties. You know, kind of actor. You know, some like to focus on young ingenues, or they like to, you know. Work with more established talent. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's agents who rep writers who focus more on genre, or comedy. So yeah, absolutely. So so,
0: so how did you get into this then?
1: Um, I got into it. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, um, and it, it's going to sound a little, I am say cliche, but so I grew up in the industry to some degree. My grandfather was a novelist and screenwriter from like the old Hollywood days. Cool. Um, And then from him, my father and my stepmother were writers and producers in TV. And so I sort of grew up around it. Not that like I was groomed for it by any means, but I definitely, being in LA, being around it, having probably the childhood I had, I gravitated towards movies and just falling in love with movies. And it all sort of worked in sync with each other. So I knew creatively in some degree I would want to do something. I actually was an actor as a kid, not... Not. Uh,
0: I saw that I found your IMDb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: you know, I was like doing theater. I did like an improv class when I was a kid, and I, I managed to get an agent. Like I think when I was like seventeen or eighteen, and started going on auditions and audition for like, you know, movies like Honey I Shrunk the Kids, uh, Three O'clock High, like just rant, just movies that like you look back now like oh my god I auditioned for that movie. Um, that's so cool. Did a, you audition
0: for TV ever or was it not that? Yeah, yeah, though? no, okay. absolutely.
1: Like, you know, all the shows of the, I mean, cause I'm mean, i an old guy, I'm 49. So we're talking like the late eighties, mid to late eighties. Uh-huh. So any TV shows pretty much. Um, and my parents didn't really do too much to help me in that world. I mean, once like I, they gave me one part on a show once for fun and that was cool. Um, and that's on my IMDb and you could find it on YouTube. Um, I did, yeah, so I did that for a little bit, but I never really, you know, I was kind of, as an actor, I always got called back, but I never was able, I was kind of like always that one step shy of booking the role. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was just lack of focus, but, you know, I just, I whatever I, I think I probably lacked it for the better. Um, from there, I, uh, you know, and I was in college, I went to college, got my degree. So, in college, I started getting more into creative writing, being a, like screenwriting, because again, I come from a family of writers, so that's. Did you went to college here. Um, I went to junior college because I was a terrible student. Then I transferred <laughs> to Arizona State.
0: <laughs> I wish I would have taken time in t- cheaper college. To oh yeah, honest. yeah.
1: And then uh, yeah, so I went to Arizona State, and then I transferred back here to LA to finish up. And but yeah, I started getting into writing and just writing screenplays in my spare time. But I took a real job after college. I worked in the magazine business there was a a magazine called vibe magazine which is a big hip-hop magazine that was just launching and I was a real I was really into hip-hop and I was running a hip-hop column for my school paper so yeah I got a job out of college working for this magazine uh, which was a lot of fun for a few years I got bored of it I went back to acting for a little bit because I was like I don't know actually I got married and then uh, this is a long story but I guess it's entertaining I love it Um, so I got married in that time and then Um, I was like, well, I don't want to do this job forever. So I left that job. I went back to acting a little bit. I did some theater and just, you know, figuring it out. Uh And I didn't know, you know, I was writing in my spare time still. Um, And I actually took a writer's assistant job on a show called Step by Step with Suzanne Summers and Patrick Duffy. It was like about, they had like the huge melded. I I was can hear the theme song. Yeah, yeah. Step (laughs) by step. Um, So yeah, I was a writer's assistant on that. And that was cool and, you know, just flailing around like we all do, I guess. And then uh, my my now ex-wife was uh, – pr- purposely we got pregnant. And I was like, well, I guess I, I should get a real job again.
0: I love and- that you go in and out of these quote-unquote real jobs. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I went and back like to the –
0: honeymoon in acting. Well, I, w- <laughs> I
1: went back to the magazine world. Um, but in all this time, I'd actually written a script that um, – and this I'm sure some of you can get into – because, like, even though I do PR, I actually have, I can speak on a lot of things, you know, about how you get yourself out there. Great. So, I, you know, so just, you know, I'm all, it's all about meeting people and talking to people and, you know, striking up conversations. So, in all this time, you know, I had written, I remember I wrote a script and um, and basically I wrote it over, like, a Thanksgiving break from my job. Like, I was, you know, we were closed for Thanksgiving. So, I was like, I'm going to write a script. So I, I had written a screenplay, um, and I thought it was a funny screenplay and would give it to people, you know, someone say, "What you do? Oh, I wrote a script. Oh, let me read it. And, you know, it, we don't need to go too into too much into it, but basically, you know, gave it to the right person who thought, Hey, you know, this is pretty funny. Let me, let me give it to, you know, my manager friend and they thought it was funny. And then from there, it was like you know they had notes, and so I would do those notes and meanwhile, so yeah, I'm, this must have been the same time I was still as a writer working as a writer's assistant, so I remember um we got the screenplay sort of in shape, and they went out with it didn't sell usual story Ugh. um so yeah, so I went back to work i went i my like i said my my now ex wife uh, was pregnant with our first child, and um Got a job back in the magazine business, and I was miserable. I hated it. And about eight months in, I got another call from the managers I had been working with on the script. And they're like, hey, now that, you know, something about Mary had just come out, and people were kind of looking for gross-out comedies, and the script I wrote was pretty gross. (laughs) I want to take another go at it. And there's like a trick they do where you change the title so they can't pull coverage. They can't say, oh, this already went out. So you change the title and you change, the, and you take notes, guys. And you put a pseudonym <laughs> on the script. So, like, I changed the title. My name wasn't on it, it was a fake name. Total scam. And, but Jeez. this is what people do. So they can't go, oh, this, we already read this and we passed. It was like, so it went out again.
0: So they could read it at the right time. Yeah,
1: and and within two days it sold. It was pretty remarkable. It was it's sort of like that's yeah, so cool. It was like it was sort of like that dream come true moment that you that you hope for. Thus began the nightmare of being a screenwriter for five <laughs> years.
0: Well, uh, wait, do I do, have we heard of it? It never
1: got made. Okay, which was the nightmare. I mean, look, oh, it, that that sort of um, you know. There's a lot of things that when you get into the psychology of why you want to be an artist, you know, striving for other people's attention or approval, and that's a mm-hmm. whole other road to go down. And, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, after about five years, I, you know, I, sold, I sold two big feature screenplays with major names and a ma- lot of money, the things you read about in variety. It was amazing. Congratulations. And I sold, thank you. Nothing ever got made. Uh, same thing with TV pilots. Nothing ever got made. So it's great to make a living, but I equate it to the idea of, you know, if you're a painter and you paint something and you never get to show anyone, you know, what's satisfying. And mean, now it's great to do it for yourself to some degree, but part of being an artist is to show it to others. And so yeah, so I sort of just got to this really frustrated place, and you know, it's it, and it's a hard job to maintain being a screenwriter. Like when you, when you quote unquote make it um, or, you know, sell something, you still have to maintain that, you know, it's not like all your problems are solved even, you know, sure. You know, selling a screenplay is a big step, but then you have to get something made, which sort of solidifies you. And again, it's a long road to being, having any sort of real financial security. Yeah. So I just sort of,
0: what is that? What's that word? (laughs)
1: Um, so yeah, so, you know, when I was raising my kids and I didn't want to be that frustrated writer who's at home, you know, Trading on their on their stability their security for my own selfish pursuits, so that's when I started looking at like what else I could do in this industry because I really love this industry. I love art, I love music, I love movies, i love t v and I sort of had this marketing background you know from my magazine days, and I knew how to I really know how to sort of pitch a story you know I know how to take sort of an idea or you know. My my job at Vibe was sort of being able to sort of take hip-hop culture and present it to record labels about why they should advertise. So, you know, it's all about telling a story mm-hmm. and weaving some sort of narrative. And same thing when you're a writer. You're you're basically pitching a narrative. So I, I, I possess that talent, which is not an easy talent to possess. And do you feel it, like
0: you learned it over time, or do you feel like it's just kind of something you've always Definitely had?
1: learned it. I was a speech communications major. I think having an acting background, I think being a ham of some sort I was a camp counselor and you hey, know, yeah, it, me
0: too to <laughs> act, like it.
1: my daughter's a camp counselor right now this summer so you know I think just having that sort of it's weird because I do I really have two sides my girlfriend calls me porcupine Eliza <laughs> calls me porcupine too, my client because I have like have a side that's really sort of outgoing and conversationalist because my job sort of demands it, it yeah and then there's a part of me that just like shuts down and like the quills come out and it's like, don't talk to me.
0: It's like the writery side. Everyone. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> um, so I, um, yeah, I think you have to possess some sort of skill to do that, to sort of, pr- whether you're pitching yourself um, as an actor, whether you're pitching a magazine or you're pitching a screenplay or you're pitching a client as a publicist, you do need, you do need to have some sort of, I think to really be good at it, you need to have a, some sort of creative foundation. Now there's a lot of publicists that do a great job um, doing what they do. Um, I think what I bring to the table for the clients I work with is is a is a level of creativity that is not is not as common, maybe. Okay. Um, just in terms of like the kinds of ways I can, you know, put together an email. In terms of again, uh, when I sign a client or I like, let's say I'm taking on. It, for, Jumping ahead of ourselves, so
0: okay, I love it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, well, just because. So basically, I forget what your question was. I think it was just about like
0: kind of how you got into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So no, that I remember. So yeah, so this is now we're getting to the point where basically I was at a point where I was looking around. What can I do in this industry? Really contribute. Um, The the woman that owns the the firm that I work for, Polaris PR, was a very established publicist. Um, I really respected her and just knew her via you know common people. And I said, hey, let me answer your phones and see what PR is about. I was 34 years old and... Wow,
0: you went from being like a paid screenwriter to going back to... to being a
1: receptionist. Wow. Because I really, I I wasn't in a rush. I had, you know, I I had some savings and I go, I really want to learn. I, you know, I, I can't impress enough to anyone in any facet of any business is learning everything. You know, from the, you know, you have an opportunity when you're sitting at a desk, receptionist desk, You're the gatekeeper. You're receiving all the phone calls. You're, you know, from journalists, from agents. So I looked at it like this is a great opportunity to know who all the players are, to know the inner workings of the industry and how it all works. And being older, obviously, I think I had kind of a head start because I had a a work ethic. Mm -hmm. You know, when you come out of college, you're kind of... No one
0: takes you seriously. Not
1: even that, but you're coming out of college and you're sort of like, you think you're the shit and, you know, like, this will happen really easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, it, you know, it's it's hard. You know, there's people coming out of college today even trying to find a, a, a good person to answer phones for you because, you know, we live in this digital age and you have 23-year-old CEOs running dot-coms or whatever. And it's uh-huh. like, what, oh, I can't be a publicist tomorrow? And it's like, you know, there's a lot more that goes into being a publicist than just what the job description is. You know, the job description yeah. is pretty basic. You pitch your clients and get them press. But there's so much nuance to that. So um,
0: so what is, like, the day-to-day like for you now that you have your own clients? Yeah.
1: Um, the day-to-day, you know, it changes. It changes minute by minute, honestly, because, you know, you have a list of clients. They all have different needs and different – they're all different places in what they're working on. So, for example, you know, there's Eliza, who's an established comedian who's got her fourth Netflix special premiering later this month on Netflix. I don't know when this is going to awesome. air. Awesome. July
0: this will come out, like, uh, end of September, October. What? Yeah. This
1: is so long. Do you, you know
0: have... how hard it is to get actors to guarantee a date? i got to do all this shit in oh, advance. Really?
1: <laughs> okay, well, it'll be streaming then. You can watch uh, <laughs> Elder Millennial on Netflix when this airs. Um So, like, right now, like today, we just launched the trailer, and that requires a whole, like, we did an exclusive with Us Weekly to premiere the trailer, which required an interview with her. So we're at that phase of Mm -hmm. launching the special. Then I have a a filmmaker client going to Comic-Con next week with his movie, Um, and that's a whole other thing. So the job description shifts from client to client depending on what they have going on.
0: How many clients do you have?
1: It changes, but, you know, right now I'm actively working on, let's see, one, two, three five or six in various places of, of what they're, they have going on. And, you know, some aren't actively promoting a project, but you know, maybe they're working on something. It, it changes month to month.
0: Do you, do you mostly do work with clients when they have a project going on? Yeah. Sometimes they're just, I've heard, I don't know. I've heard all sorts of things from publicists. Like I get them like invites to things. this And is that just like the BS?
1: It's kind of the BS. I mean, look, I, you know, there, you'll, any actor listening to this program who um, you know, if they're you, know, again, they're a struggling actor or they're out there you know hustling, trying to make it, you will not have a problem finding a publicist who's happy to take your money, and that, <laughs> no, it's true, and they'll give you a reason like, "Oh yeah, I can do this, I can get you to this party, whatever. but no one's career has ever been made by going to a party. I don't care who, you know, what you think. And and I've had clients, you know, I've had clients who thought like, oh, I want to go to red carpet events. And, you know what? and that's great. If you want to go to a red carpet event, absolutely. I can get you that invite. Have fun. But don't go thinking this is what's going to make your career. Being on a red carpet, getting your photo taken. I hate to break, be the bearer of bad news. Bear will, it. Will they not need to hear it. do shit for you. <laughs> what will do shit for you is doing the work. Um, You know, it's like you know i've talked to i've talked to actors before and it's like i'm all about giving advice in terms of like do the work you know there there are people that want to be famous but they don't want to be actors so there's a big difference and like i'll say well are you studying right now like like oh no not right now i got to find a class i know it's like yeah do that you sh- every day you should be figuring out a way to be performing in front of people Cause that the work speaks, the work is what speaks the work. You know, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the idea of being discovered. Sure. I mean, look, you live in the digital age now where you can put stuff on YouTube. There's you can literally go out with your phone and create content and literally create a a brand for yourself. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. Um, especially in this YouTube age. I mean, I, a friend of mine, just launched a YouTube Red series with a YouTuber who's huge.
0: That's and, awesome. And what's the, what's
1: the series? Uh, it's called it's called Liza on Demand.
0: Oh, I know um, Deb. Yeah, was working on that.
1: Deb Kaplan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Deb, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, so Deb so Kaplan. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I used to, Yeah, I know her
1: really well. So she's amazing, and it's funny because I, you know, I remember when she was her and Harry were starting to work on that. It's like yeah, a YouTube show, and it's like I don't know who this person. Me personally, I don't know who this person. I is. I had no idea. But she's huge. She's
0: huge. I looked at her Instagram. Exactly,
1: and that's the point. Is like there's so many ways to sort of be out there and put out the content you want as a performer. So whether you want to be a YouTuber and create short videos, great. If you want to do makeup tutorials, great. If you want to be a serious act, actress like Meryl Streep, great. But that's not just all about doing the work. You know, a publicist can't make you famous.
0: That is so real.
1: Um, I think a lot of people think we're there to augment what you're doing. Meaning, you know, I, I, uh, it's almost like we're there to sort of maximize the exposure as it's happening. You know, every studio, every network, they have PR departments, they work very hard, but they're also working on a, a great many number of projects at the same time. Yeah. So the they only, so, and it's no fault of their own, but they only have so much time in a day to devote to any one person. So if they're, so again, I my focus tends to be mostly filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is, um, the if you look at a studio, their job is to sell a movie. So when you're selling a movie, unless your filmmaker is like J.J. J. Abrams or Steven Spielberg, the director isn't usually priority number one. It's usually the... Which is fine. I mean, their priority is selling, you know, that name above the marquee, whether it's, you know, I, what cliche name, you know, George Clooney or whoever that A-lister is, that's how they sell their movie. The Rock. Yeah. Um, so the argument to have a publicist for a filmmaker is like look we work we work in tandem with the studio and they're we're like a welcome addition because we can focus solely on you
0: to you know some what i mean off them yeah
1: and and we know a lot of different we all you know we all know different places that like filmmakers i like to talk to filmmakers and you know so we can sort of maximize your role in the film as a director because the studio just doesn't have the time to commit. Not that they don't have anything to offer, they always bring stuff to the table. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, we're there to focus solely on you.
0: Do you feel like it's pretty collaborative in that way? Like, what, you with, would studios? Work with the studios and stuff? I
1: think it's changing. It, I don't think it used to be. I think uh, personal publicists, you know, it just depends. I think it's changing for us. I, I think there was a, a there's sort of like, a, not a church and state, I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a line in this. Personal publicists and studio publicists were almost like sworn enemies. Oh, really? Yeah, because a lot, you know, there was a time, I think, where, and, and, and maybe it's still true for some publicists, where, you know, again, we become the gatekeeper of the client. So a studio wants your client to do everything, everything in the world to promote the movie. Yeah. Our job is to sort of be like, well, we'll do this, this, but we don't need to do this and this. And, you know, no one likes being told no. I really pride myself on being very collaborative and reasonable. So even if I say no to something, you know, I don't. I think there's a way to to deal with and talk with people that's respectful and and sort of um, gets this. You sort of uh, achieve the same goal, but without rubbing people the wrong way. I think there's that there's that stereotype of what a publicist is. Like if you watch Entourage and it's just, Debbie Mazer, and it's like it's true. It's like it's unfortunate because. I really, I, I set the goal for myself to to redefine at least what a personal publicist was in my eyes because I don't want to be viewed as that. I don't want to be viewed as like a snarky, mean person. You're and,
0: way cooler than I pictured, To uh, be honest.
1: Well, thank you. But it's true though. But that's, you know, I, I like to pride. I think I like to pride myself on being uh, easy to get along with. I wasn't always that way. I mean, it's a learning. Again, when I talk about like, you have, there's so much nuance to the job. Mm -hmm. Um, it took time and I definitely had days where I rubbed people the wrong way and annoyed people. And, you know, it's sort of that, I think with anyone it's being able to go, Oh, I could handle that better and not, you know, uh, I, I like to think that, um, people like working with me, I think.
0: (laughs) Question mark. Uh, what, what would you say then? When do most um, actors, for example, get a publicist?
1: Um, uh, I would say case by case, and really depends what, what your expectations are, and and a lot of PR, it's all about setting expectations, because um, you know you can have a client come in who you know maybe they have a, a a supporting role in a cool movie, and you'll and I'll sit down and be like, okay, so you know what do you wh- where would you like to see yourself? You know, what, what stories like, you know, rather than try to, um, work against myself and what I can deliver, I'm like, well, what do you see? Like as a, as a client, like, or as a aspiring actor, what do you want? And they go, oh, I want to be on the cover of GQ. Like, well, that's not going (laughs) to happen, but do you know what I mean? Like, but if they come in and you know that, and you're like, they're setting their, it's great to have goals, but you also, you also have to be realistic about what's achievable and, you know. Now you know the death of magazines and the birth of online. You know I was a real early adopter of online PR. You know with with web websites and stuff like that. You know it it took a long time for for publicists to step up and go, oh, this is viable because the vanity of the vanity of of being in a magazine. Like, well, I want to be in the magazine.
0: It's so glam still.
1: Right. It's the like wanna I want to be in the pages of you know Vanity Fair. I want to be in the pages of GQ or Esquire men's journal is like, yeah, that's great. And, you know, but in terms of exposure, being online is all that matters. You know, you want that story to get posted on a website that gets tweeted out and retweeted and retweeted and retweeted. I mean, The Rock has mastered that, you know, he's mastered social media in terms of promoting himself. If he never wanted to be in another magazine, he, he doesn't have to be, he could do it all online if he wanted to. Now, it's Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He can it's, <laughs> do whatever it's, he wants, right? But the point I'm is
0: manifesting him coming on this podcast. But, but because
1: <laughs> the magazine biz, the magazine business has shrunk so much, meaning so many magazines have folded and have gone solely online, there's less opportunities for actors to even be in a magazine. Even if you're a name actor, yeah, it's hard. You know, let, you know, less magazines means less advertisers, which means less pages, which means less opportunity. Which is why online is so great. And even online now is getting to the point where they're like how magazines used to be. I used to be able to get clients and, you know, online stories all the time. Like it used to be really easy because it was sort of like. No one was really. It was like pen- the B
0: list.
1: It was yeah. like, it's, I would say B list, but it was like it's sort of like the stepchild of the like. We yeah. have GQ dot com, but we we let the interns run that, right? And that's really what it used to be. And once they realized that everyone was going online, and now there's an there's an ad revenue to that. It's suddenly it's the new magazine. So now I go and pitch stuff. It's like, yeah, we really don't have the bandwidth for that. Like bandwidth. <laughs> the internet's endless. Right? There's plenty of room. <laughs> what are the you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's true it's hard they have to be more selective because now they have to justify the clicks to the advertisers. Ugh. It's a business which is fine. Yeah, you know, it just makes the job tougher but
0: It's a good reminder that this is a business at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely. And that's why when I talked about like again expectation, you know, I can deliver stuff, you know, but am I going to deliver what you want meaning if you're like if you're always complaining that you're not like you know a publicist one of the publicist, a publicist's biggest enemy sometimes is like the best friend of the client. Cause they're like, Hey man, you should be on the cover of GQ. Oh. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I should be on the cover of GQ. And they go, Greg, why aren't I on the cover of GQ? And then I go, well, X, Y, and Z. And you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. it's just, it, it's tr- And that's one of the obstacles we have to deal with is like, you know, look at, I want, I, I would love to give my clients everything. I'd love to have every client on the cover of every magazine and there's just a lot of competition out there. Um, but I think at the end of the day it's about exposure, but it's also about I think what I what I called what I mentioned earlier which was creativity. And thanks to things like social media as a publicist we're starting to evolve in more creative ways. Um, and, it's, and it and it becomes a little bit less about having those interviews and features on a website. It's like, well hey, we can partner with this outlet and do something creative, you know, we can create content, you know. Mm. I, I had a, you know, a lot of websites do like top 10 lists, you know, like that clickbaity stuff, like yep, top 10 loves numbers. Right. So, you know, and I have, I'll go to a, like a maxim and say, Hey, how about if my client does a top 10 list of his favorite movies and you know, with this angle and like, that sounds great. And then I'll help the client put that piece together and create content. So it's, it's just all about being, you know, and again, that's where my creative side I think really lends to what I do in terms of what I bring to the table, at least as a publicist, is because I can actually help conceptualize ideas for them. Yeah, you know, I become, it, in a way, my writing background. I become, um, it becomes a creative outlet, the same way like my Instagram page does. Follow me at at Greg underscore Longstreet.
0: <laughs> we'll put it at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: No, but it's it's so, you know, God, it, and and just because I want to go back to what you asked, about, like what a day to day is, because I don't want to just skip over that, but it's not as important either, but it goes into this job has so many different um, faces. Like some days I'm just a babysitter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And some days, so there's, there's a lot of like pitching and follow up and securing interviews and setting up interviews and setting up photo shoots and the creative part I was talking about. But then, then there's also the part where it's like, okay, you have a movie coming out and now the client's going to go on a press tour and you're going with that client. And so you know, everything leading up to the day you get on that plane is preparing for that. And then once you get on that plane, it's pretty much, I would say glorified babysitter, but it does feel like babysitting sometimes. Like you're just making sure everything unfolds the way it should and making yeah. decisions in the moment. And trust me, there's days I've sat at my desk and I'm like, I'm 49 years old I'm a fucking babysitter. <laughs> Fortunately, it's few and far between, but, you know, or like you're calling to like, hey, is this hairstylist available? And it's like, this is my job. Yeah. But it's, you know what, it's fine. I mean, every day it's like it presents a new challenge and um, it's fun. I mean, I think with anything else it's good days and bad days and it's just, you know, some days are more fun than others.
0: Always. You know, it's... Do you, do you work with agents often in that way? Because I feel like if someone has a movie coming out, I feel like agents are a lot on that sometimes or...
1: Not so much. No, the agents get them. The The agents close the deal. To me, it's like, I mean, if you really wanted to break down, like a manager is sort of like more of a, uh, is more personable, is more like, uh, what's the word? Uh, you know, the manager is the one that sort of hustles for you, mm-hmm. you know? Um, not everyone has to have a manager, but like they're more personally invested. They, they give you that more individual oh. attention because like an agent at a big agency, they've got so many clients. So it's they they all work in tandem with each other um, and complement each other in their own ways. But you know, managers are sort of like almost like day to day agents are there to close the deal. You know, obviously if if there's an opportunity for like for like you know to bring clients together and create that synergy within an agency because they're both run by the same firm, then that's another value to having an agent. You know, yeah. um, publicists are sort of like our own lone beings. Like we work with we work within work with them. But we we sort of do our own thing. Um, we let them know what we're doing. Like you know, I'll I'll email an agent and a manager saying, "Here's the schedule for Comic Con." Yeah. You know, and I'll see them down there and say hello and chat with them. But there isn't too much day to day interaction. Sometimes it just depends if there's a reason to. But we sort of do our own thing. We we don't work on commission. We get paid monthly. Mm-hmm. We get a ret- what's called a retainer for our services, um, whereas agents and managers get paid you know commissions and we work really hard and uh yeah
0: <laughs> i always say that uh my comparison is that managers are like parents mm-hmm. and agents are like teachers and the manager is like hand holding yeah, day to well, day uh-huh. and the agent has like a job to complete
1: yeah they just got to close the deal yeah. absolutely so publicist uh, is like i don't know <laughs> I what to we are. of another analogy for that we're the one. babysitter <laughs> I think I was that's what I was getting at. That's
0: pretty good. That works actually that way.
1: We're here. Yeah, we you call us when we're you need someone to take them to daycare. <laughs> I guess.
0: Uh and you can you don't have to answer this if you want yeah. to. But what's a ballpark figure that an actor would plan on paying a retainer for a publicist? I know it's gonna vary vastly yeah. from place to place.
1: A billion dollars. Great. No, Solid. I mean it's hard to say, honestly. It really depends on where they're at in their career, like you know, sometimes you see someone that's, you know, what you, what you would call emerging talent. Mm-hmm. And that's there's most no way people
0: listening to this podcast. And there's no
1: way they can afford a publicist mm-hmm. for what, you know, the going rate is. I, you know, I, but, and that's sort of, I think, I think you have publicists that, you know, I always say you get what you pay for. And if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It's like, you know, oh, I got a publicist who charges me only $1,000 a month. Well, you probably only get a thousand dollars worth of press. <laughs> Not that you can equate what you spend to the press that you get, because uh, first of all, any publicist who promises promises you press, it, I would I would question. Like I never promise you. press. I can I can never sit in a meeting, you know, pitching a potential client. I can't guarantee you press. I can tell you I think you have a great story to tell. I can tell you I think what i think like you know i've done this long enough to sort of feel like i know what people respond to so if i'm sitting across from you and we're talking about your career and i feel that like like let's say you're mate you're you're starring in a movie or it's like your first role and maybe you're just you just killed it in your performance it's like you know it's a performance you just have to see and it's like okay so it's your first movie it's an amazing performance. Like I like there's something to work with there. I can't imagine press not responding to it. So, I still would stop short of saying I promise I can get you in Vogue or I promise I can get you in Vanity Fair because you can't. You just yeah. can't promise it because you're just basically painting yourself into a corner then. You know, it's it it is a risk when you would take on a publicist. You know, I you hear stories of like I paid my publicist 5 grand and got nothing. Yeah, it happens. scary. You know, I, I beat myself up when I, when I, you know, I, you know, and I definitely have had clients that have been harder sells and, but you have, you know, it is your time, you know, you, you are getting paid for your time to try and get that press. So I, I do my best to deliver as much as possible. I feel I succeed more often than fail, you know, sometimes it just doesn't click and it's like, well, we tried our best and we really do. I, you know.
0: A, that would be a hard one for sure. On the other end, to not know what work went into,
1: yeah, I mean, that side. right? There's a lot of trust there, and you know, people get caught up. Like, well, can I see a list of who you pitch? It's just like you—you you, you have to feel confident in the person that you hired that they're doing everything possible.
0: So, what are some questions then that someone would ask or talk to when they Yikes. first meet a publicist? I don't like know. What's a good. It's, I mean, I'm well, sure it's, of course it's, you go- have to feel them out, but.
1: You know, it's really like I think going back to that word expectation, you know, what's realistic? Like, sure, we all want to be stars. We all want to be on, like I said, be on the cover. We all want to be on Entertainment Tonight, or, you know, we have the fantasy of what we want to be, but, mm-hmm. you know, are you realistic of who you are and where you're at? Now, if you're a young ingenue, as they say, and you have your first starring role in Greta Gerwig's new movie, there's realistic expectations about. You know what a publicist could possibly get you, See, knows I didn't say definitely get yeah, you, yeah, 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 <laughs> but like you know, look, like magazines always do like fresh face pieces or you know once to watch pieces like so if you're you have something legitimately viable like a stu- like a real studio's putting it out like an a twenty four or focus like like let's say it's a fox searchlight movie again, like on that sort of indie level, but it's a real breakout performance and you know, I think that you know those are the kind of pieces you would want. You're not going to get on the cover now. Granted, let's say the movie comes out and it blows up, and people are suddenly talking about you for award season. Well, then you've got award season campaigns, and you've got Variety and Hollywood Reporter covers and things like that. Where, like, if you're that, but that's if you're a real contender. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, it's and it's a case by case basis, you know. I like I worked with a filmmaker recently on his film, and it was a small indie film that he poured his soul into, um, and it had a really great movie star in it. And I and he wrote the movie. Oh, I could say it's so. So Adam Rifkin, who is a, is an, he, He's written a lot of big studio films, but he's he's also done a lot of independent films. So he he wrote a movie for Burt Reynolds was his childhood childhood idol his childhood hero and it was called it's called the last movie star Uh and and it came out uh, i think it came out in april just a small indie film but he wrote it specifically for bert would only make it if bert starred in it and fortunately for adam he had enough you know cachet in this business for having produced stuff and knows how to hustle and got to bert's agent and said i wrote this for bert i'd only make it if he wants to do it because it's sort of like it's like bert's movie it's like the wrestler, but for Burt Reynolds, okay. like yeah. bas- the character that Burt plays is like a cinematic version of himself. Cool. So, so I've known Adam for years, and Adam, you know, had the movie coming out. A twenty four picked it up for distribution. Awesome. And I knew, and you know, we had a we had a you know a small budget for PR, but I I love Adam, and I and I really w- and I knew there was a great story there, and I knew it would be a shame to waste that opportunity. So I, you know, I sort of get hooked on things just. Sometimes for this year, passion of it because it's like
0: well, that's really cool though. I want to be a mean, so there's heart in it.
1: Yes, and that's you know that's it's yeah it's it's probably my saving grace, but also my downfall in doing <laughs> being too nice. But the idea that a filmmaker wrote a movie strictly for an iconic actor like Bert, and then he went and did it, and you know had this really sweet film. I knew people would respond to that. I knew it wouldn't be too difficult to build him a really nice campaign. And I did. I did it for, you know, for, we did, we did, it was like a, a really quick turnaround. We had like a month to throw together a quick PR camp. You can do a lot very quickly nowadays thanks to online. You can throw, you can put a, together a PR campaign with, you know, with a month or two.
0: I want to go back to that and ask what's involved in that, too.
1: Okay, sure. Um, but, yeah, so basically, so, yeah, we did that. I did that little campaign for Adam, and it was great. And, and I think he was really happy, and we got him some great pieces of him and Bert or him on his own. You know, who doesn't want to talk to – the idea of, like, writing – You have a, like it's like if you have this fantasy of, like, I want to make a movie with Bruce Willis, and you went and did that, well, a writer's going to want to know how that happened. Yeah. So I knew for Adam that that would, that would happen for him. Like, people would want to hear about – you know, I pay, yeah. That's like, the story. That's the right. best part. And I even I got a, I remember I got him a piece in Ma, uh, you know on Maxim dot com about you know he where he got to tell the story about writing a movie for Burt Reynolds and how it, you know he had this fantasy as a kid you know when he's about to have his bar mitzvah and like he, he had, but he had this daydream <laughs> of like Burt Reynolds pulling up to school and taking him out on the town. And, oh my god, that's so cute. And it and they loved the idea and they and Adam wrote a great piece for Maxim. So it's you know. um, I'm working on a documentary right now that I'm super passionate about. And um, it was, again, it was one of those things where not a huge budget for, you know, not a huge budget for PR, but for me, it was too important not to be involved with it. So um, That's th- really cool. There's a, I mean, they still paid me. Don't get me wrong. Right. Still making a living. <laughs> but, you know, but it was, but, but I had to. For me, it was worth being a little flexible because I wanted to be involved in it because I was passionate about it. So there was a there was a movie um, that came out in the late 80s called The Monster Squad. You're probably too young to know it. Mm. It was sort of basically about a bunch of kids who go, go up against Dracula and the universal monsters. So like The Mummy, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, and right. The Wolfman. It's like The Goonies, but with horror. And they would kill me for saying The Goonies, but <laughs> people definitely compared the two. So The Monster Squad came out, totally bombed in the late eighties and um, but I saw it. I remember seeing it when I was a kid in the eighties and thought it was cool. And so the star of the movie, Andre Gower, I guess in the last, I don't know how many years, three or four years, there's been this sort of this cult following of the film that sort of presented itself.
0: I do love that about the internet. I have to say,
1: and they, they discovered this huge fandom and, um, his producing partner was also a huge fan and they had had this road show of screenings where all these fans came out and they just discovered this huge legion of fans of the Monster Squad. So they made this documentary called The Wolfman's Got Nards, which is a quote from the movie, which you have to see <laughs> it to get the joke, but it's there's a scene where they're confronted with the Wolfman and the friend's like, what do I do? What do I do? And and Andre's character is like, kick him in the nards. And so he... <laughs> He's like Wolfman doesn't have nards. He's like kick him in the nards, and that's he kicks like him, an 80s and 90s. he kicks him, and the Wolfman like keels over in pain, and then the, horror, the character says, "Wolfman's got nards," <laughs> and it's like a classic line from the movie. So they produce this documentary. That's a great documentary about film fandom, not just for that movie, but film fandom in general, and. I, when I just when I heard about it I was actually I was at a meeting about something else meeting with these producers and like oh yeah we got a couple documentaries are working on I'm like oh what are you working on and like oh yeah we got this documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards I'm like monster squad
0: <laughs> your eyes just landed yeah and you.
1: they're like yeah you know I'm like absolutely I go when can I work on this and you know and that 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 sort of gets into like how you find business you know it's it's again it's striking up conversations you know if you don't ask that question you don't hear about Wolfman's Got Nards.
0: Well, and if you don't listen, yeah. either. That's the other you half know? of that.
1: So, I mean, who else is going to be the publicist for that documentary except the publicist who knows that movie and loves that movie? Right. So, um, and I guess that's the difference between, like, so the firm I work at is what you would call a boutique firm. You know, we, we don't have a huge list at any given time. Like, we keep it pretty small and contained because... um you get more individualized attention that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the benefit of that, in my opinion, you know, we, we work out of a small office. We have very low overhead. So the pressure to sign a bunch of clients to keep the lights on is less so. So there's a lot of great firms out there and I would never speak ill of, you know, the Rogers and Cowens of the world and the IDP. They're fantastic. They're run by fantastic publicists, um, you know, but they have to sign a lot of people. So, you know, you have to really be sure. So it's, it's, it's definitely more on the client than the publicist. So, like, when you're taking those meetings and you're meeting with, like, I said, and this is what I, I'll tell you exactly what I say to every potential client is that I say, we all call the same people for the most part. We all have the same, you know, same contacts for the same talk shows. So it's who do you want picking up the phone on your behalf? Who do you want delivering your message? Um, and
0: it's actually true about like agents and representation Absolutely. in general
1: too. Yeah. So if you're meeting with someone like, "Yeah, we'd love to sign you, sure, okay. you sound great," but you don't really feel there's a passion or an investment, then odds are they're going to bring that to their phone call. They're going to maybe send out like, you know, their hundreds of emails, maybe not do all the follow-up they need to do. And again, I'm not referencing anything specifically. I'm just saying like, you know, you have to gauge and it's it's really on you, the potential client, sitting there taking those meetings to separate yourself from the fantasy of, like, you know, like, oh, my God. Because I fell into this trap as a writer. Like, oh, I want to be at this agency because they're the biggest agency. Of course. Oh, we've I wanna, all done it. Right. Like, oh, this person. Oh, yeah. They represent, uh, you know, they represent Jennifer Lawrence. I work with the same agent as Jennifer Lawrence. It's like, yeah, but I assure you, you're probably not getting the same attention as Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. But <laughs> people, people find value in the association, and it may actually not serve them well and again, that's not speaking ill of, I don't know who Jennifer Lord says agent is, but I'm saying like the idea that it's about who, who's working on your behalf. If, if, if they, if you feel confident they have all the right contacts and you know, you, maybe you see their client list like, okay, Mm -hmm. they represent like they've got legitimate clients. So they know what they're doing obviously. And they're passionately invested in who you are and go, Oh my God, I loved your movie. Your performance was amazing. And they're, they're keying into stuff like, oh, my God, how'd they know that? How'd they see that? Like, that's a good sign that you have someone that really is invested in your success. Yeah. Um, you know, Someone like Eliza, again, I don't know if your listeners are familiar with, familiar with Eliza Schlesinger, who, you know, she's a comedian who I, you know, as a, because I don't rep- represent a lot of actors, performers. Eliza's pretty much one of the only ones. Um, at least for me personally, at the firm we do. But for me personally, she's like someone I'm very invested in. Um, I met, I was introduced to her about, I don't know, like six, seven years ago. I was, I was actually working at a different firm because I had left my firm for a few years and then ended up going back. But so I met her. She was, you switched
0: she, back to acting for a couple months. No, <laughs> ha
1: ha, hilarious. Um, she, so she was a comedian who would. You know, she worked her she worked her ass off, but you know she she won last Comic Standing, so she was a quote unquote oh, reality. Yes and no. I mean, no, I think yeah. the, well, it comes with its own hurdles when you're a reality show winner. You know, there's a lot of it's comedians. Funny. It
0: doesn't strike me as a reality show, but it definitely was. it is. Yeah, okay, right? I
1: mean, look, she was up there. You know, she's up there every night at the clubs, working her tail off. But when you become a winner of a reality show, there is sort of a I'd say a cloud that's cast over you, but you're viewed a certain way, like oh, reality show winner. Mm-hmm. What she has going for her is she can, she backs it up though. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like she just won a reality show. She's fucking funny. Yeah. And she works her ass off. And like I said, she's on her fourth Netflix special. She's a national headliner. I was in Vegas with her last weekend watching her crush it at the Mirage. So, like,
0: God, that's awesome.
1: And, you know, it's funny because I worked with her. She had, she was hosting a, so back then when I met with her, it was to help do PR for a dating show she was hosting called um, Excused. You know, it's just one of those gigs you get at, you know, when is you're like just... like an
0: MTV show?
1: No, it was, a, it was a... But it was a strip series like that. Not... It wasn't MTV, but it was... I
0: think I... I'm sure that I've watched it.
1: <laughs> and, you know, and that was just one of those, you know, so one of those early day jobs in your career. And so, you know, we tried to do PR around that. And that moment came and went. And then I stopped being her publicist. But then we started becoming friends, which is very rare because you don't really become friends with your clients. But she and I became very good friends. And, you know, and just... I'm just really invested in her. Her material's great. She's constantly pushing herself. She's constantly evolving herself, evolving herself, and with each special she she does, like with Netflix, she just gets better and better. She's one of those comedians that, as she evolves as a human being, so does her material. So what she talks about is constantly changing, like, you know, in this latest, in in the special that you can now stream on Netflix when this yes. airs, you know, she talks about getting engaged and she talks about, you know, what it's like to buy a wedding dress and, you know, suddenly being drawn to women holding chubby babies and, you know, <laughs> and so it's, and you know, and, and now that she's already married, I'm guessing the next special will focus on being married and like, so not to digress too much on Eliza, but, you know. She's someone I work really hard for, at least from, you know, you talk about a publicist trying to break a piece of talent. Mm -hmm. It's that passion that I'm talking about. Like, I, she so has that ability to be that person. And it's just, you just, and and the idea of having a publicist, A, is to maintain the profile while you're doing all these things. Because she's all, I mean, she just, she put out a book last year. So it's doing PR for that. It's, you know, it's her tour. It's her Netflix specials. It's she hosted a limited late, uh, a limited run late night talk show on Freeform last year. So all these things, as long as it's like she's got enough going on, there's always something to talk about. She just shot her first movie with Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne that's coming out next year. Awesome. So it's you know, and so it, it's it's being there. Like, how do we maximize each of these opportunities? Yeah. Um,
0: how long does someone? Usually, have a publicist for because you said you've worked some people and then they go off and yeah, on the yeah, grid. Yeah. Is it like on a monthly basis? Is it like because I feel like I didn't even think about that. I was like, well, once you have them, you have them, but that you makes do, sense. You do, but
1: you know, client, so you know, fees can rain. So basically, you know, when you're on full fee, you're just you're on, so you probably have something you're promoting, like, like let's say you have a movie coming out, you know, in September, so you'd be you'd have a publicist now and they'd start working with the studio they would start pitching out stories on you trying to get you in those you know fresh face issues things mm-hmm. like that um, and you're paying full fee basically but let's say you get to the end of that movie run and nothing mu- it's, it's quiet mm-hmm. you know and nothing's happening well that's a lot of money to spend for nothing happening and there's no reason to have there's nothing to if there's nothing to promote then you would go on what's called a hiatus okay. and basically you know any so basically you know at that point, when you're on hiatus, um, you know anything that that a publicist gets for you, they'll just forward to you to look at. But there's no active pitching happening because, you know, it's sort of like that if a tree falls in the forest line of thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't the this, the sake of doing press just to do press that serves no purpose. I don't yeah. understand because it's like we have a movie coming out in six months. What can we do now? Nothing. No you, don't wa- you don't want you don't want to do press now because you're wasting. You know, you want to do press when people can actually go see something. Yeah. And now in in the age of streaming, it's even changed more because, you know, we used to sort of, you know, with movies, we do this still, like you do press, like sort of the week leading up to release Mm -hmm. and then like the week following release. But like with, like, for example, like with Netflix streaming, it actually makes more sense to do press after it's streaming.
0: When the word of mouth starts to come out. Not even
1: just word of mouth, but it's like, if you're going to do a podcast, oh, go listen to, go watch my Netflix special. People yeah. aren't going to remember. Like, if you're, you know, you're on there saying, "Oh, yeah, it premieres Friday." You're going to forget about it in two hours. Totally. So, you know, so it's sort of like with with Eliza's new Netflix special, which is now streaming on Netflix when this <laughs> airs. It's like you'll hear this podcast and go, "Oh, I'm going to go watch Elder Millennial with you know, Eliza's new special, Elder Millennials." So, um, yeah, it for me, it's like there's no point in doing it if there's nothing for them. To act on, Got you know, it. press is a call to action. It's to go investigate. You know, maybe if you're an established actor, it definitely makes sense to be on year round because there's usually always something going on. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you know, there's always something in the works. You
0: right. know,
1: if but if you're like you know you're new to the game, you have, you have one film. Like filmmakers are campaign oriented. Because, you know, you can only work on one film at a time. One project, yeah. So, like, you know, uh, you, I wrap up a campaign on a movie, and then, you know, maybe I won't work with that filmmaker for another year. I've got to go find other filmmakers yeah. that have other projects. So it becomes like a, you know, you, it's hard. Filmmakers are tough because, yeah, they're not, they're not typically year-round clients.
0: Okay, I have one more question. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I, hope, God, I don't even know if I've
1: answered any. Nope. I feel like I haven't answered anything. For sure, you definitely have. Okay.
0: Uh, for those of us actors who are out there right now who don't, have publicists who aren't yeah. in the world of needing one necessarily because we have, you know, guest stars here, you know, maybe a recurring yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, a
1: recurring. Okay. But that can yeah, get nominated.
0: It's true. But depends like, on the recurring. Right. Let's say we're, you know, the, like our low level working actor, we're not ready to pay a publicist right. at this point in our career. What are some things that we should be doing right now as our own publicists?
1: You are your, you are your best publicist in some degrees. Um, you know, uh, well, this is like kind of a multi-part answer, if that's okay. Because I have a couple, couple words of wisdom I can oh. offer you.
0: Love it. Keep going. <laughs>
1: well, first of all, to go back to the, when you asked about the what we charge,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my I think one thing I left out was like if if as a publicist I see someone like this person is going to be a fucking star, but they can't afford it, maybe you 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 hit pocket them. Maybe you do a couple things. You know, like the way mm-hmm. an agent would hit pocket. Like you see the potential. And you're you're gonna because you're gonna you're gonna sort of hedge your bets and and maybe get them to the place where they can't afford you.
0: Got it. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Love that. That's so the thing.
1: like that's why it's like I always like the advice is free. Okay. So I'm always there to talk to people and say hey, here's what I think or here's what you should do. You know they can't afford a publicist, but I can sort of steer you in the right direction. Maybe I can make a call. Maybe I can send an email. You know it's just it's case by case. So there's that part. So when you're young and he- if 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 you're young and have no money, but you're, you're killing it in some movie, you, there may be a publicist that's willing to sort of take you on with the idea that when you do make it, you're going to sign with them officially cool. and pay them, and, and, and then pay them.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so there's that part. Um, the idea of being your own publicist, look, the beauty, the beauty of email is that there is a, there is a level of anonymity. Did I say that right? Anonymity. Yeah. Meaning, so when I was, when I was a, a struggling screenwriter or I was just sort of like, you know, messing around with it, um, I remember that um, I was, I turned to my ex-wife and I said, you're my manager now. And I basically created, I made up a fake company name, management company, and I told her what to write in her emails because I could track down emails, no problem. Like development people, uh-huh. I said, just email and say you're a manager and you have this great script you want to send over. It's all about perception. Uh-huh. So um, you could set up a Gmail account that's you know publicityforme you know at gmail dot com, and you could be your own publicist. I mean, right. again, it's all about pitching the story. Um, so you know, I I would recommend. Again, so, like, let's say, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like, Google's an amazing friend. You know, you can go, you can type in an actor that you kind of, like, let's say you have a role in a movie that, this is kind of like what this role was for this person. Type in that person's name in that movie and see what press comes up. See what press they did.
0: Oh, I like that.
1: See who wrote those articles. You know, one of the... the one of the most important aspects of being a good publicist is being resourceful. You know, I, I go to Google all the time to track down an email that I can't, you know, we have a database, but sometimes the emails aren't there or they're not correct. So it's like, okay, well, let's see, what's the email address for this company? Oh, it's at, uh, you know, it's typing in, you know, different Google searches for an email, potential email address. I mean, it's not hard to track down someone's email, mm-hmm. you know, I've sometimes gu- I've guessed them. Yeah. Several times. Sometimes <laughs> it's right there in the article. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I remember when I was a struggling actor and calling up agency and saying, Hey, come see me in this play, you know, and, or emailing it's, it's, you got it. I will say that professional being professional is really important. Writing a professional email is important. Um, brevity, brevity. You beat me to that one, but (laughs) I, I, if I open an email and it's, it's a, it's a novel, I won't read it. I maybe I'll, I'll literally go to the last paragraph, which is usually what the, where the request is. Um, you know, even as a publicist, when I reach out on behalf of a client, I keep it quick.
0: Yeah, it's Nobody like time.
1: And and then if they're interested, then I'll give them more information. Yes. You know, it's like I don't. You know, so and it's better to start the conversation. Like, hey, like a lot of times I'll email a journalist, say, hey you know, I, I'm working with this sort of thing. Is it, would this be your area or is there someone else I should talk to? And like, oh, no, no, that's for me. You can send that over my way. Great, you know, nice to meet you. You, do, you. Start the conversation before you ask for something even. Yeah. You know, people just want to jump in with their pitch email and it's just like your eyes just glaze over. The worst is like actors who email me and it's like, you need an agent, not a publicist. Like, they don't have an agent. And they're, oh, like, emailing shit. a publicist. And I'm like, I'm not who you're looking for.
0: I mean, way to, t- way to have some props. Way to try, but... I
1: guess. Or screenwriters <laughs> send me scripts. And I'm like, yeah, you need an agent or a manager, not a publicist. Yeah. But they're just trying everything they... Pu- and look, I get it. I've been there. Um,
0: just throwing shit at a wall sometimes. But, yeah. But, you know,
1: look, it's talking to people. It's, it's um, being affable. It's not being so obviously, um, so obvious and that you're wanting something from them. It is about relationship building. I, I, I believe that emphatically that, you know, if you're someone that comes across as always just wanting something, it's like, ugh, again, it's like, no, you got to build relationships. Like I don't, you know, I email a a writer, a, I mean a journalist and it's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Okay. No worries. I don't, you know, I don't hate on them for it and I don't always, you know, you take the no, but you you keep the friendship intact. You know, they're not going to say yes to everything. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you're an actor and you're struggling, and you don't have the means to hire a publicist. Um, I mean, why do you need a publicist if you're a struggling actor? You don't need one. You have to have a story to tell at the end of the day. And I think that you have to, you know, the idea of like, oh, I want to be famous. I want to be a big you know, whatever. I want to be that actress. I want to be that Meryl Streep. I want to be that Jennifer Lawrence. I want to be that Emily Blunt, whatever. You know, it was hard for all of them, I'm sure at some point. And you got to have that story to tell. Like, if there's no, if there's no adversity along the way, then, you know, what's that book you're going to write about what you went through? I say that all the time. Do you know what I I mean? That's
0: another story for my book.
1: You, it's, And you have Ooh. to enjoy the journey. You know, I used to get frustrated with my job as a publicist. Like, oh, when's this day going to be over? It's like, you know what? It's never going to be over, so you better fucking start enjoying it. (laughs) You got to enjoy the good and the bad that comes with it because that's, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. there's no end to it. This is what you do. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's like saying, it's like talking about that shitty job you had while you were waiting to get that break or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's what you want. You want those stories to tell because remember when I was, I tell this to so many people. It's like, just hang, if you, you know, if you're passionate and you're focused you know just remember these are the stories that everyone tells when they do make it so you know just enjoy the journey as much as you can i mean sure look at i've probably dealt with some of the hardest of the hard things that you can deal with in life and i still have a smile on my face so he i think does. what's that <laughs>
0: he does it's hard to see on the podcast <laughs> yeah i do
1: so it's like yeah it's like you're you know being in show business and you know look i you have to be safe out there you have to make smart decisions You have to not put yourself in bad situations. You have to take responsibility for yourself um, as far as that goes. But yeah, you know what? You got to, you know, find that group of friends that you want to come up with, you know, and whether it's at the growlings or whether it's at an acting class or just a group of people you meet and start shooting videos together, like, you know, create that group that's, you know, then you look back and go, oh, remember when we were all struggling and so it's like, you know. One of our clients founded one, a very famous theater group. You wouldn't believe the amount of named actors that came out of that. And it came out of him saying, I want to start my own theater company in Chicago. And literally, you can, you can list probably 10 famous actors that came out of that. That's so from fun. just getting together with some friends and putting on plays and hustling. So it's like, it's all out there. And you got to hustle and do it and, you know, stick with it.
0: Hustle until you can pay someone to do the extra hustle for you.
1: <laughs> to, no, to compliment your hustle. <laughs> to
0: compliment your hustle.
1: You always got to hustle.
0: <laughs> yeah, that All never right. ends. Um, Greg, where can people find you, follow you, learn more about you?
1: Well, they can follow my amazing Instagram account, which is my name. It's at Greg underscore Longstreet. Don't worry. It's pretty... I think I've gotten compliments. I, really? I po- yeah, I'm I post excited. good stuff. I post good stuff. I you know I promote client stuff, but I promote like... I also post cool pictures and have a sense of humor I think so it's a fun it's a fun follow. It's a fun follow. <laughs> I would don't follow me on Facebook cuz I don't go on there anymore. And Twitter, I mean, I can't seem to break 830 on that in terms of the amount of followers I have.
0: Not really a Twitter person.
1: I yeah, Instagram's where it's at. It's yeah. solid, it's visual, it's very easy and I think um I I can't imagine what could replace. I'm not a Snapchatter. Hmm. Too old for that. My daughter's on Snapchat, but don't follow me. But yeah, no, Instagram's a great place to reach me. And you actually have like an email button. So God forbid you have a question. I'll probably respond.
0: Dun, dun, dun. I may
1: be brief though. It'll be br- it'll be a brief email, but I'll definitely <laughs> respond. I can answer any questions.
0: Zero punctuation. Greg, thank you so much. This was awesome. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Guys, I'll talk to you in just a bit. And that wraps us up for this week's episode of the One Broke Actress podcast. Greg, thank you so very much for taking the time to come sit at my kitchen table and talk to me all about the world that you live in. I learned a hell of a lot and I bet you guys did too. If you took anything from this podcast, if you learned anything new, please do me a favor and subscribe and rate and review. I know I ask every week, but honestly, it makes a huge difference to me. Also, share it on Instagram and tag me at Sam Valentine and tag Greg as well. And I will make sure to add it to my stories. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best.